Hey, TMC followers, if you're looking for a charitable organization to give to at the end of this year, consider giving to themondaychristian.com. Simply visit themondaychristian.com, click the donate tab at the top right-hand corner, and leave us a one-time donation. It would help us out a lot. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkoff. I'd be remiss here just if I didn't lead off the podcast uh, over the weekend. Not too far away from you, Mayfield, Kentucky, uh, just going through, wow, watching some of the videos, pictures from that, it's just uh, pretty pretty devastating to see all that's happened there with the tornado. Yeah, I've had some some friends that sort of live in those areas that have been affected, and um, yeah, I've just been praying that the, like close the to church... There? Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Yeah. My good friend Rod, who we've actually had on the podcast, mm-hmm, yeah. has had several in his community very affected by this. And, of course, uh-huh. Western Kentucky is there, and they've experienced some loss of life um, just with students uh, within their body. But, yeah, just praying that the church could be the church in this time of grief and loss for so many, uh, especially during this time of year. It's interesting, man. Uh, recently, I've, you know, just last week, I lost my uncle, right? Uncle Charlie and great man of God, love God. Um, he was just at my sister's wedding when I was in Cincinnati, you know, three weeks ago, right? And he was there yeah. and, and then just within a week, he's gone. And you, you're just kind of reminded, I put out this post on my social media, you know, some people age really well. And when adversity hits, it's like they shine brighter. Well, Maybe you saw the video of that guy playing the piano, right? And the devastation of the Mayfield thing. I mean, how cool is that, right? And today we're talking about Advent, and it really actually ties in pretty well. Yes, it does. With this, because even this last week, like Janan and I were talking last night before bed, numbers of our friends are going through just really dark stuff. And I remember... You know, when I was in Cincinnati and a number of my friends were in mortuary services and they would talk about this being one of the hardest times of the year for people. And so anyways, I know Advent's yeah. something you're, you're passionate about. Yeah, I think, I think for, for all of us, uh, and it's sort of the whole idea of Advent and really understanding mm. it being more than like a month-long Christmas celebration pre-December 25th, yeah. but just longing thinking about what it, longing for Christ's coming and not just remembering his first coming, his first advent, but anticipating his return. And uh, he is making all things new, but he will make all things new. And that, above all, probably makes advent this season of hope, especially for those, you know, they talk about the holiday seasons or when you miss your relatives the most, the first Christmas, the first Mm. Thanksgiving without somebody at the table. But what a beautiful time, even in the midst of grief, to know that for those who are in Christ, this is not the final chapter. Christ will come again. That's something we declare as a bedrock principle of Christian faith, and I think um, this is why this discussion about Advent matters more than just we got to have the right colors on the church communion table. Exactly, yep. Rachel, she writes in, she said, not being raised 
celebrating Advent. It took me a little while to figure out what was happening. Crystal, she writes, I hadn't really ever heard of Advent before I went to you know Bible college. And another person wrote in that they had a similar experience. And today I wanted to bring on Bobby Gross. He's the vice president for graduate and faculty ministries with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Several years ago, he wrote a book called Living the Christian Year, A Time to Inhabit the Story of God. And I picked up that book several weeks ago, and I just started reading, and then I reached out to Krista, who works with IVP Press, and I said, hey, is there a chance we could bring him on? Because I'd really, this is speaking to me, I'd love for our audience to have a conversation about this. So, uh, Bobby Gross, welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast. Thank you, Ezra and David. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on this time of the year, you wrote this book back in 2009, if that, that's correct. Right. Um, let's go back before then. Uh, I always like to ask our guests this simple question. How did you first come to faith in Christ? Well, I grew up, uh, I live in Atlanta, but I grew up in a town called Columbus, Georgia, about two hours southwest of here. And I grew up in a Baptist church, so in the south, uh, you know, when I was growing up in the 1960s and 70s, seems like everybody was Christian. Everybody went to church. Of course, you believed in the Bible. You went to Sunday school. But when I got to high school, uh, you know, I thought of myself as a Christian. Suddenly, uh, I think it was in my near the end of my freshman year, somebody said, hey, we're starting a uh, like a Bible club or a prayer group. And we're going to meet in you know, Mrs. Metcalf's room. You're a Christian, right? I said, yes. Well, you'll come, won't you? Well, of course. But I I, st- I, w- I went to the meeting that started before school, but I made sure to sit where nobody could look in the window and see me. And I thought, why is that? What is what is that? And in the church I grew up in, one of the worst things you could be is the hypocrite. And I felt that tension, even as a young teenager between, yes, I want to be a good Christian, but I also don't want to pay any social cost for my faith. And it bothered me over the rest of that semester. That summer was a kind of, in my young mind, like either I'm going to decide to follow God and believe in Jesus and live it, or I'm not going to do it at all. And there was no point in time, but by the end of that summer, when I returned for my sophomore year of high school, I was determined I'm a Christian I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I'm going to be open and willing to follow Jesus uh, faithfully and mm. have a look back. Yeah. As can I ask a follow up? So, how do you get Bobby from um, what I would probably guess is sort of a lower church background, more free church background, probably influenced a lot by frontier worship and revivals and everything, a lot of wonderful things. Um, how do you get from there to also having this passion for the Christian year? Um, what has your journey been like from uh, from there to where you are right now? Yeah, that's a great story. So uh, growing up in a Southern Baptist church, I didn't know what the Christian year was. I mean, I, there may have been a little bit about Advent. We had these Advent calendars as kids where you could open the windows leading up to Christmas and uh, obviously Christmas is a big special occasion and there might be special services or you know, maybe a concert. And then Easter was pretty special, right? And again, uh, all dressed up and, uh, but there was no uh, period to lead up to either Christmas or, um, or Easter. 
and that was that was my background. I I, I didn't know anything about it. I, I uh, went off to college, uh, was happily involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, I became a campus minister upon graduation. My first assignment was University of Florida. And I can remember this kind of embarrassing and maybe comical, but you know, one spring day on campus, I kept seeing, saw a couple different people with like a smudge on their forehead. And I, you know, I very helpfully and thoughtfully said to one person, hey, you know, you got a little something here you might want to take care of. And oh, that's fantastic. Funny look. And then later, somebody explained to me that this was Ash Wednesday and people had put the sign of the cross on their forehead. And I thought, I have never heard of that. Of course, I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, at the end of my time, uh, about four years, my, oh, three years after uh, serving as a campus minister in Gainesville, I got married and my wife was Catholic in background. Now, at that time, we were going to a college-oriented church. Um, it also didn't pay any kind of attention to the Christian year. At the end of our first year of marriage, we moved to Miami, Florida, and we were looking for a church together. And uh, we were open to we're pretty open to any kind of church. And eventually we went to this small, Episcopal, slightly charismatic, multi-ethnic church in Miami. And she was right at home. They There was a prayer book and uh, people were standing and kneeling and crossing themselves. And I've never, I hadn't been in a church like this. And I was lost and confused and uncomfortable and of course, going home in the car, she, I was saying, well, this this definitely is not going to be our church. And she says, I loved it <laughs> because it was very similar to her Catholic church experience growing up. And that's where we ended up. And over the course of that first year or two, I began to appreciate the value of liturgy as a mode of worship, including this whole idea of a liturgical calendar. So that's where I first learned about it. That's fascinating because, um, of course, we were talking off air just a little bit, but I'm relatively new. And I think Ez and I both would say we kind of come from a low church, free church background and um, and many wonderful things there. That's not a criticism. Um, but seeing, I remember my first uh, chapel service where I'm going to school, just kind of having my paradigm blown up. And, uh, for example, they had some uh, water at the back. Um, sort of mm -hmm. as you leave the sanctuary, touch the water. Uh, I saw some students crossing themselves, but I asked them, and you know they could have given me such a detailed answer, but the answer was just, we're remembering our baptism and um, remembering who's we, who, who we belong to and also the responsibility we have as baptized one to walk out of this sanctuary. And I thought, that's so weird. That's like you said, they're crossing themselves. What does this mean? And then one morning, I don't know if it was the spirit, you know, I, I don't want to blame him or something, but I just, I did it. I touched yeah. the water. And, and as soon as I touched to you, right? Nothing bad. And not only that, I was like, I am Christ's. Mm. I am baptized. I'm in the family, you know? And then also when I walk out of here, I'm supposed to be living this called out life. And now I can't walk into the chapel and leave it without touching it. And it just, the... The paradigm shift, uh, I think sometimes we have so many subcultural assumptions, uh, often pejorative, about people that maybe worship differently. Um, but what I have found increasingly, and of course we'll get into um, some talk about your book and also the Christian year, but just 
a rootedness that I was missing yes. in worship, in corporate worship practice, um, just this, this, the depth that I experience now in worship because of some of these things has just been transformative. So uh, thank you for your journey, also for, for writing your book. And Ez, why don't, we, why don't we get into some of this? I mean, for the skeptic, Bobby, I, I pastored for a number of years. People will think, okay, Advent, that's just extra biblical. Mm. So tomato, tomato, like why should we even have a church here? Why should we even celebrate that? Because why not just go back to the book of Acts where everything <laughs> is perfect, right? Yeah. And it's it's a little yeah. bit of that that mindset, right? Sure. Um, what do you say to the person who, who has that belief? Well, uh, I, well, here would be an... There's some underlying elements when you think about, particularly the, the the Christian calendar. So most people feel it's appropriate to celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas. That's not in the Bible. Most people feel it's appropriate to celebrate Easter in a special way. That's not in the Bible either, right? And so um, I think if if you in a sense think of the the the, the scriptures. And the, the roots in, in, the, in the Old Testament and, the, and uh, the Jewish history, and then what was going on in the church. The scripture invites us to think about the ways in which we might worship God. And um, the thing that helped me was uh, thinking about how can time be made holy, so to speak. Yes. And I. I I puzzled over that. Well, what what would be the grounds in Scripture, perhaps, for something like special um, recognition, or special ways to worship God in the context of time? Well, for one thing, you can think about the three major festivals that God instructed His people in the Old Testament to observe, and they were such a big deal that. Um, the whole nation would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this festival, whether it was Passover or the festival weeks or Pentecost. And what was going on? It was a occasion for intensified worship, community, remembering our history, renewing our faithfulness to God. So, well, there's an interesting precedent. And then the obvious one also from the Old Testament is God said, six days you work. The seventh day is a holy day. God sanctified one out of seven days in time to be holy. So obviously, God can make certain amount, certain times have great meaning. But interestingly, in the, the New Testament, in the early church, they decided to worship on the first day of the week because that was the day in which Jesus rose from the dead, even though in their uh, the Jewish culture, the uh, the seventh day of the week was the Sabbath day. They began to worship on, it'd be like for us, Monday, right? Uh, on a work day. And that day became known as the Lord's Day. And it became the day of worship. And we think nothing of setting aside Sunday in our tradition as a special day, both to rest in keeping with Sabbath and also to worship in keeping with what the New Testament did to sacrifice make sacred a particular day of the week for the purpose of worship. Doing that with the calendar writ large is an extension of those principles in my mind. So as I, I would, 
we were talking about this. The history is not the only thing in the blender when you talk about best practices in corporate worship, of course. But to ignore history is entirely another matter. And the, these processes, this this idea of having a Christian calendar, a Christian year, deeply formed people for a long time. And if you're just going to throw that out, especially, I, I feel like, Bobby, maybe you've had a different experience, but the people that tend to push back on this tend to be a little bit maybe more biblicist. And I don't mean that pejoratively. They just, that's their mode of understanding. And I would say, well, if you're wanting to deeply form people in what the scriptures teach and in the story of God, like what what better idea do you have than the Christian year? Because I feel like a lot of these folks... Bobby, do you, do you live right beside... Can you hear that tracks? train? <laughs> <laughs> you must have one of the best <laughs> nights of sleep ever. That was crazy. <laughs> I was like, is that me? Like, what is going on here? <clears throat> I thought that was your lawnmower, that guy that shows up. He's, he's blowing out my office. <laughs> he's riding a train. The, I could totally see summer, that. Uh, <laughs> it, it, not only on uh, this side is where the train is, but we have a large brick wall behind our set of townhouses, and it bounces off that wall as well. So it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to hear the train. Oh, that's so great. So... It's, but you, do you actually sleep through, sure, through the night? Sure, you get used to it. You just, it's like it. the clock going That's off or funny. something. Yep. <laughs> so, Sorry, meanwhile, Dave, back, back at the ranch here. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask them, what better idea do you have to form deeply people in a very systematic way? Because a lot of these guys, they're very systematic in their thinking. Like, what better system do you have for deeply forming people in the whole counsel of God? So a lot of them would, like... So the lectionary, it, you don't have to use a lectionary, but I'm just saying if you spend six months in a Pauline letter or maybe like in a lot of churches, it's like three months on family and two months on your finances and six months to a better marriage. And the next thing you know, this is actually not mostly God's story. This is mostly about how I interact with the story, which I would argue is a little bit self-centered. Not that it's not needed, but corporate worship becomes self-centered. So my question is to those people that say, do we have to do this, is bring your ideas to the table about a better way to deeply form people and keep time. I mean, these folks were keeping time uh, with the story of God. It's a, great, it's a great question. I think something important to stress, in, in my opinion, is that keeping uh, something like a Christian calendar to any extent, it is a, uh, it's an opportunity it's a it's an invitation not an obligation there's nothing required about it there's no um you're not less of a christian or um if you don't do this it's more an opportunity to participate in something that goes back 16 1700 years that that obviously can be very powerful in our spiritual formation in our life of discipleship and worship so i would encourage people to see it as an invitation. It, it's not a right yeah. or wrong thing. It's not a necessary thing. It's a good thing. When, I'm sorry. When you're when you're inviting people to embrace these opportunities, Bobby, is there part of you? So sometimes when folks talk about Advent, it actually just turns into a month long of Christmas. Before, it, it, is there reflection? I feel like there's some reflection needed about what 
each of each of these seasons and times actually right. mean before we start practicing because sometimes it almost makes it it's actually not helpful to people right. like if you're celebrating advent and not thinking about first advent and second advent you're not really and yet and of course ez is in my mind right now because he's He's like, you just don't don't be a snob about this, David. Don't be a snob <laughs> about this churchier stuff. And I, I I hear that, right? So like knowledge can puff you up. And so I'm like, you know, the colors are off and we shouldn't have lights in the sanctuary right now. And why is those colors like that should be it's not epiphany. Why are we talking about the wise men? You know? So like there's this I don't Yeah, don't be a snob. <laughs> That's a good Yeah, word. like there's like this pragmatist side of me, and I'm saying, like, take the win. It doesn't matter if this whole like peace, hope, love, joy, whatever they're making the candles out to be on the Advent wreath is a relatively new invention. You know, like sure. it's okay that we don't talk about second coming and judgment on each of these Sundays because that might not play in Peoria. Like, is something better than nothing in your mind, or is full fledged celebration the only way to go? Wow, there's because the. The, the practices are different in the different churches and they've, they've shifted over the, the centuries. Um, there's no one right way to do this. It, it's, it's actually tremendously uh, open for creativity and adaptation. What I, I feel sad sometimes when I feel like we get into our, whatever our church is, our denomination, or maybe it's a non-denominational church and we spent so much of our energy in history, you know, splitting off and defining ourselves as we're not like them, and therefore we can't do what they do. And oh my goodness, if it's Catholic, we can't have anything to do with that if we're evangelical or Protestant. And I feel like we're in an era where there's a willingness to learn from all traditions. If you think about Richard Foster's idea of the streams of Christianity, you don't have yes. to be limited to one stream. You can you can be a low church worship praise band church and do the, the liturgical calendar. They're not you don't have to just stay in one lane. And that's no. where I would say to people, hey, relax, learn, experiment, try, see how God might use it in your own life. When I wrote the book, Living the Christian Year, my first audience was people like me who were who were curious about it and saw it, but felt like it's not me. I'm not. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to do it. It feel kind of inauthentic maybe to cross myself or, yeah. you know, uh, use an Advent wreath or something. So it's like, you know, let me just lay this out and tell you why it's how powerful and wonderful it can be. But my second audience were, was for people who are in liturgical churches who grew up with this and they don't, it's rote, right? Yes. They, don't, they just yes. do it. And they actually don't know that much about <clears throat> the meaning of it or the history of it or why it works. So I think there's a danger of rote, you know, just ritual. And then there's a, a danger of just leaving something wonderful on the table that could enrich your life. In the book, the main thesis is that the Christian calendar gives us a chance annually to rehearse and inhabit the whole story of God. So it's a yes. gospel experience and a theologically form formative experience and and we can maybe walk through the choreography of the year but that to me is the great value that's why it works is that we're rehearsing the story of god and living into it every year beautiful well often when i think of advent i think of it like dave's saying 
right, what's happening in a corporate worship service. But I want to transition transition this to how you celebrate this in your home. Okay, so maybe just what you write this, you say Advent is a season for waiting. We wait for the coming of God. We need him to come. Our world is messed up and we are messed up. We talked about that. You know, I don't know what your experience has been lately, but for <laughs> us, I've lost several friends to COVID this last right. year. And, um, you know, season of, of pain for a lot of people in this Christmas season, I'm sure is a season of pain to many of my friends because it's like Dave said in the intro, the first Christmas without their loved one. And so when you look at the brokenness in our world today, how does the season, let's take the season of Advent, how does that help you? What's going on inside the walls of your home during this season? Well, primarily, I'm. Uh, it's just my wife and, and me. Uh, uh, primarily, I'm, I'm letting it shape my, my devotional life in these months. I, I think for me, Advent started right after Thanksgiving. It's basically the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas every year. So it, it differs a little bit um, in, uh, in, in the number of days. I welcome the Advent because it, it invites us into certain themes by the nature of the, the season. You're not limited to exploring themes only in certain times of the year, but it's great to get to a period where these are the themes we're all being asked to think about every year. And for me, uh, Ezra, like you were saying, the, the idea of lament and longing were the two things that I've been thinking about the first couple of weeks of this year's Advent. And, and there's a lot to lament in our current moment, right? Of course, we're still in the pandemic. We're about to cross the 800,000 deaths. Uh, a, a large percentage of them are, are older people who have died sooner than they would have. And uh, so, so that means that every death has been uh, a loss of someone in a family. It's also been a time of uh, increasing uh, social and political tension in our country, racial tension. And wherever you're situated uh, you know, on those divides, it's... It's a, it's a stressful, unsettling, divisive time in the church, in the society. And it has made me heavy hearted these last couple of years. And for the pandemic to coincide with these social um, distresses, I entered Advent just feeling like with the prophets of the Old Testament who were longing for a Messiah who would come and make the world right. There's it's permission to say, Lord, how long? How long are we going to yes. live under these conditions? And implicit in the lament and the cry of dismay or the, the, the cry of um, being distraught because of loss or death or conflict or the tornadoes hitting, you know, it's just horrific. Um, the flip side of that coin is the longing for God to... Uh, well, longing for God to be at work in our world. So we express the longing really every week, every day, whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, your kingdom come. I'm looking for your kingdom to come. I want your kingdom, your shalom, your justice, your redemption to come. But we know that it only partially comes. So this is a period where we look ahead to the second coming, the return of Christ, when he will make all things right. And he will wipe away every tear and 
um, bring justice. And part of me just says, uh, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, because yes. we're not happy and we're not doing well, lest you come. And it's a, it's a, and the reason that that works in relation to Christmas is in the same way we might look for God to come in our own experience in lives and look for God to come again in history. We're like doing the same thing that the Israelites were doing when they were longing for a Messiah. And so yeah. that Messiah was Jesus. So vicariously, we're, we're imitating or, or in, in alignment with that longing for the one that God has promised that will come, that will make things right. In our case, of course, Jesus inaugurated this kingdom, but has not fully culminated it. So we're doing waiting and on two levels. We're, we're waiting for Christmas and uh, in remembrance yeah. of Christ's first coming, and we're waiting for Christ's second coming. As one thing that I, I like, um, I think to your point, Bobby, uh, Glenn Packiam said something on Twitter the other day. He said, we are waiting just like the Israelites, but the difference is they were waiting in the dark and we are waiting in the light. And so while we will lament, there is also this, this hope. Um, something, as I was, I was thinking about this, something Jess and I have been doing this Advent that has been such a blessing. Um, Grace Anglican Church... Um, uh, Florida, they, they've been doing uh, just these little seven to ten minute videos. And part of the, there's like this cosmic narrative of Advent and there's like this personal and they've been doing a great job balancing back and forth with some of that and just like taking stock of my own life and saying, am not in some sort of sick or servile anxiety sort of way, but also like am I ready for Christ's second advent? And this is some beautiful questions for reflection and prayers. And of, of course, walking through the, lect the lectionary scriptures for the day have just been um, what I've needed in this season. Right. Well, I would, I would maybe push back slightly about the darkness and light. I think the light has come. The darkness can't overcome it, but we're still in a world that's shadowed by evil. Yes. And, and, and has the shadow of death, like Ezra, you were suggesting. And so it's like, how do we live in yeah. a still dark world with the light of Christ? In fact, um, the, the sequence, the first sequence of seasons in the Christian calendar, Advent, the 12 days of Christmas, and the weeks of what we call Epiphany, we call that the cycle of light. light. It's all about yeah. light and the light that we'd look for to shine, you know, if you you read the prophecies, you know, the, the light would shine in the darkness. Jesus was the light of the world. We get to be that light in the world ourselves, as it mm. were, epiphany. That, that's the emphasis. Um, but yeah, it's it, Advent. You're sitting a little bit as the days yeah. are getting darker and darker, earlier and earlier. And then there's that mm. kind of turn in the the. the, yeah. the the days will start to get a little longer. The light will start to grow. So we actually, in the Northern Hemisphere, Advent in our climate, in our... You yeah. See, hear your blower out there. <laughs> yeah, that's my guy. He's consistent. Yeah, Advent in, yeah. The, in the Northern Hemisphere, we are experiencing the darkness now getting to its darkest point so that then the light starts to grow again and it just symbolically corresponds beautifully to uh, approaching the birth of Christ in our calendar. Do you feel like this, so, so many things you have like this tension, right? This already, not yet, you know, his, his kingdom is here, but it's, but it's not, you know, so we're, 
even so come Lord, you know, come Lord Jesus. And also he's here. Just that, that tension. I think it's probably healthy for us to wrestle with some of that though. Right. I mean, in one sense, the light has come and in, in another sense, we still dwell. I mean, as the last year and a half has taught us like right. death, like it's, it's a real thing. So, right. Um, for someone, um, Bobby, practically, if someone is new to sort of Advent and some of the themes, where, where do we start? Of course, I, I would expect you to say like, read my book and you should read Bobby's book. <laughs> we'll put a link to it in the, yeah. um, <clears throat> in the conversation, uh, and in the show notes, but apart from reading your excellent prose, what else should someone do for their family or personally uh, during this season? Well, one of the themes of Advent is waiting and watching, right? And it's all those parables of Jesus about, will you be awake? Will you have oil in your lamp? Are you going to be alert when I come? Don't be caught. I'm going to surprise you. Don't be caught not ready, right? And so it's a season of waiting. So I think especially with families, it's there's a lot of excitement around Christmas. So finding ways to practice waiting. We're not going to open gifts until Christmas, until we get there. And we, maybe we light our candles. Maybe we have the Advent wreath. You know, um, maybe we create our own little rituals in our homes that pra- help our kids learn something about anticipating, waiting, patience, um, even as we take it as a chance in our own lives to ask ourselves, what am I waiting for? What, what hope am I holding on to? What disappointment am I holding before God? One of the, one of the great texts in Advent is the, uh, the Annunciation scenes to uh, not just Mary. We know about that one, but really Zechariah, the old priest, had an, an Annunciation, which he conveyed to his wife, Elizabeth. And here they were, an old couple. They had wanted, they probably had given up on having children, barren, old, too late, the disappointment of it. But maybe, maybe Elizabeth hadn't fully let go of it. But suddenly she's going to have a baby in her old age, right? So this, this hope that she had been sitting with and holding or this disappointment she'd been sitting with, suddenly God surprises her by acting, right? So what does it mean then to practice that kind of waiting, hoping, with the things that we carry in our own lives, right? This season invites them. As we're just talking here about um, practical ways um, for families or maybe people that are new to Advent. And so um, Bobby has offered some really, um, what I think are good practical insights. And we've just been talking about um, Zechariah, Elizabeth, John. Um, So Bobby, if you would... You know, we're speaking to people in our audience that have experienced quite a bit of loss. And as and I are probably thinking about some of the same families and people we know that are just have been rocked because of COVID and some of the things you've mentioned. How does Advent bring comfort? And um, what are some things if we have a pastor in the audience? What would you what would you tell a pastor? Where do where do they start? You've you've talked to some about families, but where would somebody that has maybe some influence in a, in a local church setting, where, where do we start? Well, I, th- I think that you want to pair Advent with Christmas, right? So the discipline of for these few weeks is to just acknowledge that there's a lot of brokenness in the world. There's a lot of disappointment and loss. And so it's, and, and, and those who are experiencing that, like you said, Ezra, it, it can be really hard in the season because commercially, 
and publicly there's all this you know the hallmark channel is showing christmas movie after christmas movie it's all you know it's all wonderful and light out there and so it's a hard season so advent allows us to to acknowledge that there's real pain real hope real longing real disappointment um, in our own lives and out in our world i think that has real merit but then when you get to the christmas instead of just the crazy day and the gifts and the food the way the calendar is set up is literally there are 12 days it's a 12-day period and so can we can we you know particularly after the things calm down a little bit after christmas day can we sit with the amazing wondrous reality that god came into human history as a human being and 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 it's jesus god with us and that is the answer to those of us who are carrying pain and disappointment god doesn't snap and make all of our pain go away and our suffering i mean i i'm just stunned at what those that have been devastated their homes and their communities by this tornado that this is not gonna that's not just not gonna go away next week right that they're gonna have to sit with that loss and that pain for a long long time but then the gospel tells us that god came he came as the light and the darkness um and so we celebrate that and we kind of lean in for those 12 days to a kind of deep gratitude uh, and to a, uh, I would say, a profound theological reflection on God with us. And that then becomes the counterweight to the lament and the, and the longing. And so I think together there's a tremendous message that we get to rehearse every year. Yes, we still are in a time of, of loss and suffering in our lives but God is with us in it and the signs of his kingdom are apparent and it, and it fuels in our hope for what is promised. Bobby, how do we pray during these seasons? Two thoughts come to mind. I was listening to a Jewish commentator of the weekend who was talking about the whole idea of pain and suffering. And one of his points was that suffering happens to everyone. And so he's accepted that and he's accepted that he's essentially on, basically paraphrasing him exactly what he said, but he said, I don't really ask God for anything. I only um, just pray that God's will would be accomplished in my life. And whereas I would see others that would pray over and over again for God to do something, God doesn't show up in the way that they wanted, and then they become very discouraged and they lose their faith. And to me, I can't fall in either one of those camps because I have... There have been seasons of my life where I felt very prompted to pray for someone and I'll see something happen. Maybe it's not what I wanted, but I'll see something happen and I'll see God's hand at work. But then other times I pray and it seems like um, nothing happens or, or what I wanted to have happen doesn't happen. So how does a Christian handle that, especially in the season of Advent and as we're waiting for Christ to come? You have 30 uh, seconds to answer, Bobby. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, you're naming it really well, is that there is no simple answer to that. Um, I'll maybe introduce one other element, and then we can talk about the three seasons, uh, the cycle of light. The, the third season in this cycle is called Epiphany. And uh, particularly as I kind of shape it in, in my book, it, it begins on January 6th, which is, uh, and the, the beginning of Epiphany celebrates several things. One is the uh, baptism of Jesus. 
where uh, the Holy Spirit came down upon him, right? He had a kind of epiphany moment of revelation. Another that's celebrated uh, is uh, the, the, the Magi showing up at the manger to give the gifts. So kind of the manifestation of Jesus to the world. But the third thing that happens early in Epiphany in the, in the celebration in, in the history of the church is the wedding at Cana. So you'd like fast forward to Jesus being baptized and then scoot right to the wedding in Cana because he's now done, his, that's his so-called first miracle. And it's a sign of the kingdom. So that's a kind of clue to what Epiphany is about. It's like the revelation of who Jesus is in the world and in the, in the rehearsal of the story of God, we get him born, if you will, at Christmas. And then you get to Epiphany, and we're now in the, the beginning of his public life, in which he begins to reveal himself by, by his teachings, but also by his signs and his miracles. Okay. So if you think about Jesus healing people in all kinds of ways, he healed a lot of people. He did not heal all people. Right. So those were signs of the presence of God and the presence of the kingdom. So we in Advent acknowledge that we have darkness and disappointment and uh, suffering in our lives. At Christmas, we acknowledge that God is with us in that uh, our human condition. Not he, he entered our human condition, but he's also with us, having fully experienced all that we have experienced in, in life, right? So he knows what it is to lose a father, for example, we're pretty sure, right? And so we hold on to that God is with us. And then we remember that God also does these amazing things to make his presence known in our lives. Sometimes we are healed. Sometimes we are rescued. Amazing things can happen because God is with us and active in our lives and our experience. It's just that there are no guarantees that we're going to experience the fullness of our redemption and our healing uh, that is promised in the, the new heavens and the new earth in this experience. But again, Advent reminds us that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. So I'm doing Amen. a series of blog posts and the, the prayers that are in the title. The first one is uh, Lament. How long, O Lord? That's a legitimate prayer. The second one is longing, come Lord Jesus. And the third one is laughter, bring us home with joy. Mm. Bring us home with joy. Wow. That, that's my capsule answer to your thorny theological question. <laughs> well, I think that last one, joy, is so important because you can live in such a state where the world is it's a broken, messed up place, but sometimes Christians can be so pessimistic, right, that they're really not a joy to be around. and it, There's nothing really attractive. And so to me, I'm looking at and I'm saying, well, if God really is changing your story, like, why would I want that? Right? Because it, there's so, and so, you know, when you, when you've interacted with people that have experienced great pain and things like that, what has it been about them that you've seen that, that has gotten them through those times where they have that joy that you're talking about? Um, well, you have to be really careful when people are in great pain, right? If they're suffering or if they uh, have some chronic condition or they experience grief or they're wrestling with their demons, as it were. So you want to first 
kind of imitate Christ in the sense of, first, I want to be alongside you. I want to be with you. I want to try to empathize and identify and not brush over your experience. Um, and sometimes it's just being with people more than saying things or thinking we've got a ready salve to put on their wounds, as it were. But I, I, I think uh, uh, their, their worlds are not going to be defined by their current pain. And part of how that comes is because they're, they, they still are going to, in time, experience grace. And it might come through, it's going to come through love. It'll come through joy. Sometimes the joy will come, if it almost feels wrong for them to experience joy when they're, you know, there's still grief. Um, one of the, uh, I, I quote from a, uh, a poem in my blog post um, that kind of captures this. Um, and let me find it. Um, this poet says, we must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. Gladness is still going to find us because God is still full of grace. And there's no like magic you know, eraser board. So I think we can encourage people to not lose hope, to not become cynical, to not turn away from God because God is with them and God will restore their joy. So that's why the, the psalm, for example, uh, talks about um, Psalm 126. It opens with uh, the psalmist remembering a time when they had joy. That psalm says, we, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. In the second half of the psalm, he's saying, when, we, when will we experience that again? And he, he concludes by saying, may those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. So we can look to experience that now, but ultimately the answer to that prayer comes in the new heaven and the new earth when every tear is wiped away and there will be no more mourning or suffering. As don't, don't you think that some of this, I think of the value of each part of Christ's body, but you know, certain segments of, for example, the African-American church, um, some of our, our friends in the 1040 window that are under intense persecution and sort of live um, with the oppression that comes with uh, being a Christian in those contexts, even in the midst of terrible things, who have lamented well, also have these songs of joy and the anticipation in a way this uh, to me joy is so much different and deeper than happiness that that's, that's a great illustration yeah the steadfast assurance yep. god is doing what's best and i think that when you see somebody with that perspective it it is probably the best apologetic for the reality of christianity that i see because well, some of the greatest songs come out of those seasons of pain, right? It makes no sense. If you add yeah. up circumstance plus like temporary comfort, it's like, why is this person like this? It's because they have great faith. Well, and Bobby, isn't that one of the reasons we need the season of Advent so much? Because in the West, so often we're taught, well, like we kind of think we're oblivious to pain. Like you mentioned, Hallmark channels, where everything on, on the TV, as they say, right? Uh, everything <laughs> is, is like 
pushing us away from pain. Yeah. Where I, I, we, we brought on, oh, I forget who it was a while ago, but talked about even like the idea of death, how insulated we are often, like from my, from my generation, we are from death and how we don't think about it a lot of, a lot of times, right, like so as we would maybe in the past. If I may, let me take that as a cue to do a little preview of the second cycle of seasons in the Christian year. Yes, yes. So if, if Christmas is the focal point, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, Christmas Day, the feast day of Christmas is the focal point for the first three seasons, we call the cycle of light. The focal point for the second three seasons is the death and resurrection of Jesus. The, the Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday, right? That Holy Week. And so in a similar way, we have a season that leads up to that momentous, powerful, spiritually, theologically, Holy Week. And we call that season Lent. And the word Lent actually just comes from the idea of lengthening because the days are lengthening uh, as we move into spring. So Lent is a period where we're invited to enter into a mindset or, or spiritual themes for six weeks that have to do with recognizing our mortality. So that's why death, we're all going to die. Our finitude, our dependence on God as human creatures, and our sinfulness, our need for, our, if you will, our inadequate morality, right? And so for six weeks, we try to in, enter into a place where we, we give up some things to make us more aware of uh, that human beings don't live by bread alone. And we, we do self-examination and we practice some, some, some kind of repentance and lament for the sin in our own lives so that our, our, our ability to understand what happens on the cross on Good Friday has been deepened over those weeks. And then we kind of plunge into the darkness of the cross and the death of Christ, such that when we get to Easter and we celebrate the resurrection, it's all the richer for that six weeks and the Holy Week. And then we say that let's live into the celebration of resurrection seven weeks. We should feast longer than we fasted in Lent. Yes. Right? And so yes. we call that set of seasons the cycle of life. So if you put the you put the two together, right, it, it kind of begins to add up to the gospel that you're talking about. What about our death? What about our sin? Um, and so Jesus made his way. We can think of Lent being as Jesus is turning his face towards Jerusalem and his destiny. And we're walking with him. And we experience those events and then we live into Easter. So now we're beginning to get the full picture of the gospel and to rehearse these rhythms and this story every year is why the year can be so spiritually powerful. Wonderful. And one of the things I like, you know, towards the conclusion of your book, we don't really have time to get into this today because we need to wrap up, but you talk about even those months of the year, right, that aren't a part of the right. quote-unquote Christian calendar and how do you do things in the ordinary. And I guess here's my hope, Dave, I guess for people listening, watching, is that as they take this in, they're motivated to go out and, and really put this into practice in their own lives. And especially, like, I would just encourage you, if you're going through a season of pain right now, um, well, Bobby, what, where should they start? I mean, obviously, we'll recommend the book, but you mentioned the series of blog posts that I was unaware of. That's something you're doing right now? 
I have done a series. Uh, it's, it's posted on the Emerging Scholars Network, which is a, mm -hmm. a virtual uh, means to serve men and women who are headed towards the academy as they're calling. That's under our um, university. I, I, I'd say don't make it too hard. You know, get an Advent wreath. Even if you're just learning about it today, get a, get, get a little set of candles and light the candles. And Or, or even this year, think about like... What would it mean to celebrate Christmas for 12 days? We don't take our Christmas tree or lights down until January 6th. We try to stay in a mindset of the literally the 12 days of Christmas. What, what will you focus on in your devotions? Will you maybe save some gifts to give after Christmas Day to keep it fun for your family? Um, that's a simple thing you could do. And then I think that when you get to Lent, and it won't be hard. You can Google and find out when Ash Wednesday and the start of Lent. Try that. Experiment with that and see if that doesn't deepen your appreciation for what happens when we get to Holy Week. Keep it simple. Give it a try. What I have found and what people will tell you is that year by year, it's like you're you're kind of inscribing a groove um, and you keep going around and, and, and the whole experience becomes richer and deeper year by year as you learn mm. to live yep. in these rhythms. We already live in the culture is going to tell us how to think about the calendar if we don't choose a spiritual way to think about it. Mm. We'll think about the school year or, you know, the sports seasons or hunting season or, you know, uh, the final, yeah. you know, so let's or sports, sports does a great job. Of that let's too. appropriate yeah. the season for our spiritual purposes as well yeah. as all those commercial purposes. Yeah. If, if Christ is really the object and center of Christian worship, the, the cycles that Bobby has so, Get, it's such a great introduction you gave to us today that the cycles of light in life like what better way to keep time in our lives what would it look like yeah. if our lives were marked by those kind of rhythms and i would say in those grooves bobby every time of course i'm so new to this but every time just for the last few years now that i've come by advent i notice something new you know i see it, it's deeper and it's the things of god like there's no bottom to it and no. just uh it's so meaningful, and it's meant to be experienced. This is not just about doing things the right way or the historical way. Although I will say, was the I can't see really well, but I think you're wearing purple. Was that intentional, or was that no, just? This? It's I was a like, crimson. okay, no, are you just I'm like repping? <laughs> you're like repping the uh, Advent stuff hardcore today. I was like, dude, you're awesome. No, <laughs> I no. just like threw a hat on. Uh, so, but yeah, it just deepens every time you pass through this season. You see something something new and I, I just love it yeah and guys there's there's so many great resources out there um here's a book called god with us that's got art and portrait and reflections here's a fun book for kids about how animals what they do when it gets dark and cold and how they have hibernate and then come back to life it's just a lot of fun you can do with your family in your own devotional life even if your church is not too much into all this We'll link these things in the show notes below. Uh, Bobby Gross, thank you for so much for coming on the podcast today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Happy Advent and a glorious Christmas celebration for you guys and all yeah. the uh, your listeners today. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.